Advent in Christian tradition going way back was determined that too many people were leaping straight to Christmas and missed the point. As you detected, we're in Matthew today. Matthew chapter 11. We're in Matthew all of Advent, quite frankly. And I'm using the four suggested Matthew texts for Advent. If you think I'm just making this stuff up, get your little Google machines out and type in the words Advent Scripture Text Year A, because that's what we're in. Because in the church year, the church year starts Advent 1. You will notice that Matthew is the passage for today. It's from Matthew chapter 11, and there is no manger, there is no dream, there is no nothing. But people who are way smarter than me and way more spiritual than me determine that this is what Advent is all about, Charlie Brown. Leaving my script for a second. One of the mistakes we make as followers of Jesus in the 21st century, in which things can seem easy compared to other cultures, we want to leap from Christmas to Easter and then Easter to Christmas because that's the cool part of the story. Jesus shows up. It's amazing. Everyone's, oh, happy about this cute little baby and it's wonderful and he, no crying he makes and all these things that maybe he did or didn't do. And then we want to jump to Easter. And we skip Advent. Skipping Advent is similar in Christian tradition from jumping straight from Christmas to Easter with no Lent. And when life tosses you lemons and you don't know what to do, if your faith is just Christmas and Easter, you wonder why God's not there. You wonder why God doesn't answer your prayers. Advent was about people waiting from the book of Isaiah, which I'll use at the end, waiting for a Messiah to come. And they kept being told he was going to come, and he wasn't there. And they kept believing. If they can do that before the resurrection, surely during Advent we can do that after the resurrection. Now that I've ranted and raved and gotten off script, let's go back to a nice pretty Advent sermon. Some of you listening today are going through a tough, tough season this year. Things have changed and you are blue about it. It's going to be a blue Christmas. Some of you have lost loved ones. You may be personally incredibly comfortable with the living hope of them and you getting to see them again, but they're gone. Some of you may be facing serious health concerns. You're not sure what the answer is going to be. You're tired of the doctor saying, well, we tried this and we tested this and that's okay. And you start to wonder if all of those years they went to school mattered. You're not getting a straight answer. You're frustrated and you wonder why. Some of you have some relational issues this time of year. You have to deal with family situations like a divorce. And it's the divorce of that family member who you thought had the best marriage you had ever seen. And things are going to be different. This Christmas season, somebody's bringing their new boyfriend or their new girlfriend. And you don't like them. And you're not going to like them. And there's nothing you can do to change that. And by the way, they don't like you either. Some of you have new relatives that maybe you do like, but it's just going to be different. Maybe this holiday season you're in a marriage that's okay, but it's never going to be the powerful marriage that God would prefer for you. You don't want to give up. They don't want to give up. They're not going to change. 
you're not going to change. It's just the way it is. Some of you are trying to fix mistakes you made previously in life, as we all have done. Some of you, the closest contact you have with family members is an alimony check. Some of you are still dealing with the doubts and the struggle from the first marriage or the first child or the second child from the previous relationship. There's nothing you can do to fix it. And trained Christian counselors would say, there's nothing you can do to fix it. And you just move on. Some of you have children that you love and did the best you could. And for the record, I stole this paragraph from, from another minister. Some of you have children that you love and did the best you could parenting them, but it seems like nothing you say mattered. You wanted better for your children. But for example, you told them these grades count. These grades count forever starting in the ninth grade. And then one day, when they're working three part-time jobs trying to get through college, they said to you, those grades count. It's too late. Your dream of them going to the school that you wanted them to go to can't happen because you can't afford it, and it didn't happen. Maybe you're facing financial stress this time of year. Your financial dreams are not going to come true, and they can't come true. Every time you turn around, a new bill pops up. You're about to get your debt cleared, and everything's going to be wonderful, and you're going to be ahead on payments for your house, but then you get a letter, and your mortgage got sold to another company, and they said that they miscalculated your escrow, and now you owe $500 more a month. And your property tax is going to be 75% more. And you just went back to seminary. Oh, sorry. That'd be good. Yeah, there's a nervous laugh from the Self family because I don't think we've told that story. Maybe you remember when you were accused of doing something wrong at work. Maybe it was your fault, but it probably wasn't. And now you can't work in that industry anymore. They won't support you to be there. And the God-given dreams you thought you had can never happen. And you're thinking you've been as faithful as possible. You've tried to do as many things as you, th- as you could. And you read your Bible six times a week and you try to pray as hard as you... By the way, you let the pastor read it to you on Sunday. Um, you try to pray, but it's hard to believe your prayers are even heard. You even try to be a good example of love and compassion as Jesus taught. I mean, for example, one day you go downtown square in Macomb and you get off, you get off a horse carriage ride during the holiday celebration in the town square to let some little children stay on because you'll wait. Then you have to wait 22.49 minutes for the carriage to come back and you discover that you missed a chance to meet and pick up Santa Claus. You wonder if because you are compassionate. You wonder if you should have done that. You wonder if caring for others even matters. Maybe the struggle you're going through this season is not life-threatening. Maybe it's a medical issue that's not going to change, but you're going to be able to live with it. You face it, you face something every morning and you want it gone. Maybe it's a silly thing. Maybe you can't go on long walks with your spouse anymore. Maybe you can't do the things you used to do. Maybe for some people you just want to spend some time in some fresh air and you can't do it. We feel worn out by life circumstances that simply are not going to change. Unless Jesus magically appears and there's a miracle, things are not going to change. You see your friends getting older and they can't go to lunch with you anymore. You see your friends graduating from school and you don't know where they're going to be next year. 
you look at the options in your life and none of them seem positive. You don't want to quit on life and family and hope and faith, but you want to believe. But. So, what do we do when there seems like nothing we can do? What do you do when there seems like nothing we can do? This is the question of Advent. This is one of the questions of Advent that comes up every year in the traditional passages. The writers of Isaiah, Matthew writing this text in Matthew 11, wants them to ask, what do you do when it seems hopeless to you and you just have to adjust to a new normal? This is where reading and studying the biblical books and especially studying with a group, is important. Without those pieces, you don't know what to do. If you're living a life where you focus on just the Christmas miracle and the Easter miracle, and you forget the rest of Jesus' life on this earth, which quite frankly wasn't that much fun, and you think faith looks like that, when you face difficulties, you don't know what to do. And it's especially annoying, sorry I'm being personal here, so I don't think any of you are these people, but just go with me. You're going through a hard time, and maybe you find yourself chatting with that Christian friend you know loves Jesus. You know they do, because they tell you all the time. They love Jesus, and they seem to talk about being blessed by God in some of the most shallow things ever. You've got a cell phone that can't stay charged for more than three minutes, and then you have to do an emergency run to Best Buy to buy a new one. Sorry, I wrote these words before I had to do that on Tuesday. Um... And they're talking about how wonderful their new phone is and how great it is. Or they're talking about their grandchild and how wonderful they did in their eight-year-old basketball game because they made one shot. And you don't get to see your grandchildren. And you may never get to have grandchildren. And they keep talking to you about your no-win scenario and they say, you know, they just tell you this Bible story that means so much to you. Of course, it's way out of context and they ignore the original meaning. But it's, they tell it to you. Or they quote this Bible verse that has nothing to do with what it originally meant. And you listen and you feel left out and you feel left over. You wonder if God is on vacation and has turned his phone off. You wonder if Jesus even cares. You know in your mind that Jesus came to be God in a bod. But you wonder where he is now. So what do you do when there seems like nothing you can do? Recently... My wife is too polite to say it, but I have a teenage child. Recently, I've been correctly accused. I want to point out correctly accused. Correctly accused by my talented teenage son of using the same Twitter cliches that he's heard before. He's correct. In spite of that, today I'm going to use my favorite Twitter catchphrase that he can probably do himself and can probably present the catchphrase perfectly don't want you to miss this because this is Matthew's point in Matthew 11. God is not absent, apathetic, or angry. Silence is not absence. As you may have guessed, one of my associates who came up with this Twitter phrase did a three-point sermon. Can you guess what the three A's were? God is not absent, apathetic, or angry. Silence is not absence. You're thinking, really? You wonder if God is even there. You're like, well, maybe God's busy in the Middle East or North Korea and doesn't have time for me. But then how come he doesn't have time for me and he has time for so-and-so because they lost their keys and God blessed them by finding them? 
God is not absent, apathetic, or angry. Silence is not absence. These words may seem really, really hard to embrace when you have friends and you have people you know love Jesus who seem to be blessed every five minutes. You wonder what you did wrong. You wonder why God's not there when you think God should be there. And then you live in a culture that seems to have magnified this concept that Christmas is wonderful and holidays and presents and everything's great. And we miss that being different, that we acknowledge that it's not always great. Using the wrong holiday, you feel like Linus has asked you out into the pumpkin patch for the great pumpkin, and he's not coming. Now, in fairness, before we get to this, you wonder where God is often? Sometimes God's not around because of us. You want God to bless you and you want to worship God and all this, but you have this weekend planned and you're in your car and you have sin on ice and you're driving for ice and you're going to visit with so-and-so to have sin there and then to do this and you got it all planned out. You didn't really want God to be there. Sometimes we don't hear from God because we don't want to. Yeah. Sometimes... We wonder where God is, but we push him away for a weekend or a week or a month or a year and then wonder why he's not there. Having said that and scared you with that concept, fortunately for us, there are biblical writers who wrote about real people at a real place who felt abandoned, isolated, and even imprisoned away from God. So did anyone Jesus truly, truly loved ever feel the way you feel, wondering if God's there? Fortunately, there are lots of examples. Today's text is my favorite example. Today's example is the main character of Advent, John the Baptizer. As you probably know, in Rome, they were the Roman superpower during the New Testament times. They ruled kind of with an iron fist. That's putting it nicely. Um... And things had to be just right. Now, the Jewish culture did not like this. You can go back and check your history books, check your Google machines. Jewish culture did not do well when you told them what to do. Imagine, those of you who are much better parents than me, imagine the strong-willed child that will do nothing you say. That is the Jewish culture. They never did well whenever they were told to do something. They were told the sky was blue, they said it was green. They don't do well with this. The fact that they revolt against this, against Antiochus Epiphanes IV, is the reason that Hanukkah is celebrated in Jewish tradition. It's a celebration of the first act of guerrilla warfare. Really wish I was making that up, but I'm not. They don't do well with this. So, Rome decided to hire some people with a very specific set of skills. They're called the Herod family. You may have heard of them. The Herod family starts with Herod the Great. Go ahead. You know him. You know Herod the Great. He's in the Nativity narrative. He's in Matthew chapter 2 doing really bad things that we can talk about in two weeks. How do I say this nicely? Herod the Great was a few fries short of a Happy Meal. And that's putting it nicely. We have reason to believe that Herod suffered through lots of mental illness. He believed everyone was against him. He was incredibly paranoid. He passed that tradition down to all of his children, all of his wives, all of his everything. He has a son, who you can read about. His name is Herod Antipas. Now, by the way, Herod has lots of sons. 
But Herod Antipas was a really bitter ruler who takes over after Herod, about the time of John the Baptist text in Matthew 11. And Herod Antipas liked to be seen celebrating Passover, but he was never nice to anyone. But don't worry. Herod Antipas had some relatives, some brothers, half-brothers. It's complicated. We don't really need to look at his family tree. I looked at it this week, and I was grossed out. But he has a brother named Philip, which is important for this conversation. Herod Philip is in charge of stuff outside of Jerusalem. Herod Antipas is in charge in Jerusalem with the pretty palace and everything. Herod Philip marries Herodias. Now, if you're wondering if Herodias is a play on the name Herod, it is. In a weird, twisted way, Herod Philip is half-uncle to Herodias, and he marries Herodias. Let's all do what we're thinking right now. Ooh! Okay, we're all thinking it. It's true. And I don't know if you know this or not. In Jewish culture, they frowned upon this. Are you shocked about that? I know. Can you believe they would shock shocked about that? And if I showed you his family tree, you'd be like, wow, it's worse than you said. Yeah, it's bad. Ooh! Let's go back to Herod's family tree for a second. We've got Herod the Great, Harry Antipas, Herod Philip. So Herod the Great has died when we get to Matthew 11. Herod Antipas is in charge. Herod Philip's married to Herodias. Apparently Herod Philip is out doing stuff. Herod Antipas goes to visit Herod Philip. He's not home. Herodias is. According to Roman scholars, Herod Antipas looks upon Herodias and translated in Southern English, he was smitten with her. Let's all do this together. Ooh! Yeah, it's gross. Back to the Herod family. Herod Antipas divorces his wife. Herodias marries Herod Antipas. Herod Philip finds another wife. It's a cute family tree. Feel free to Google it sometime if you're really depressed. Um, so Herod Antipas is now married to Herodias. Why does this matter for our weird Advent text? I'll get to that in a second. Don't worry. You think your Christmas dinner with the family is going to be awkward? Imagine what Passover dinner was like in that household. John the Baptist. Did I mention he's the key character of Advent? Did I mention that? He is. Advent does not happen without John the Baptist. According to extra-biblical sources, John the Baptist became well-known for using Herod, Antipas, and Herodias' as sermon illustrations. <laughs> Did I mention the Herod family's not really nice and paranoid? I mean, Herod the Great killed children because he thought they were going to commit treason against him. They weren't, but he just thought they were. The apple doesn't far that fall from the tree, far from the tree. Because of this, Herodias is upset. Can you imagine she's upset? She doesn't like John the Baptist preaching about her. And so she says, husband, number two, can you go and have him arrested? So he has him arrested, and he's thrown him in the worst prison ever you could find. In Machaerus, which we'll get into in a second. According to Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, John was imprisoned in the palace of Machaerus. This prison was built about 90 BCE and located 15 miles southeast of the Jordan River. Herod the Great had it built, or his family had it built, because they were so paranoid they built a fortress and a prison, just so they could be protected. This prison conditions for this were not very ideal. When we get to Matthew 11, which we're going to get to that text in a second, sorry, John has been there at least a year, possibly eight 
18 months rotting in a prison. Did I mention they don't feed you in the prison? Did I mention they don't bring water for you in the prison? If your friends don't bring you water and food, you die. This is a prison where people go to die. That is where John the baptizer went. Prison conditions were not to rehabilitate you. They were to watch you die. That is the context for today's text. Advent passage. Sounds lovely, like night's pretty sweet baby Jesus, doesn't it? Okay, this is how the text ends. I need you to get the end of the story, and then I'll Paul Harvey you with the rest of the story. Matthew 11, verse 11. This is what Jesus says about John the Baptist. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Think about the compliment. Jesus, fully human, fully divine, walking on the earth, doing miracles, lame walk, even make frozen two presents for everyone if they needed to, whatever. Jesus says, John the Baptist is the greatest person born of woman. Jesus says that John the Baptist is better than my father Joseph. John the Baptist is better than my mother Mary. Hmm. That's how much he thinks of him. Poor John is in prison, and he's just like you would have felt, upset and wondering where the heck is Jesus. Since Matthew is presenting the good news, we need to know more, about, more things about John the Baptist. Because Matthew's presenting kind of a flashback story. If you read in Matthew's gospel, if you read earlier in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, this is what we read. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. So he hears that John, a relative, probably a direct cousin, is in prison. Jesus, the good shepherd, goes to Galilee to live, by the way. In Capernaum. Or withdraws from Galilee, goes to Capernaum. Now, this is where you need a Bible dictionary and a map. Because you need to read your Bible with your map and your Bible dictionary. Let me show you a basic map of where this goes. Go ahead. This is the prison where John the Baptist is on. It would be on top of this hill. It's a really nice view if you could see out. It is literally out in the middle of nowhere. Let me show you in relation to the prison where Jesus was. There's a map. I know it's a little hard to see. But if you look in sort of the center, bottom, a little bit to the right, you'll see Machaerus, where John was imprisoned in King Herod's palace. If you look up towards the top where you see Galilee and Capernaum, that's where Jesus went. Literally, he hears that John the Baptist is in the prison, the greatest man born of women, and Jesus goes the opposite direction. Ever felt that way? Now, to make it worse, which is why I love preaching this text. I've never done it for Advent, but I'm really excited about this part because this is the punchline that a few of you have already heard. It's not just that bad that Jesus goes the opposite direction. John is in prison rotting and does not know where his next meal comes from. Let me show you a picture of where Jesus went. Go. For those of you listening online, this is a picture of the beach. This is Capernaum. Jesus went to the beach. Jesus didn't go to see John. John is stuck in Canada in a polar vortex, and he's in Destin, Florida. Jesus went to the beach. 
Now, I realize I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's what it looks like. John is decaying in prison, and Jesus is doing beach ministry. How do you think John feels? <laughs> yeah, it got real all of a sudden, didn't it? What, did you, what else did Jesus do when he went to the beach? Did he take in a show? Did he, did he get special advance passes to the media event at Palestinian's Edge so he could go to an early screening of Rise of the Cloud Talker? Did he do this? Did Jesus go to a special after-hours event to ride Herod's mystical centurion maniacal adventure while John couldn't even find his way there? Jesus is at the beach with the cell phone turned off and you're in prison. How does it feel? Did Jesus go to a five-diamond resort while he was there and have lovely food while John is in a negative three-star accommodations? That's what the Bible says about Jesus. Why do we believe Matthew's account? If Matthew was trying to present Jesus as this wonderful person who was great and, and he would leave out these details, this makes Jesus look bad. I mean, I know from reading the prophecy in Matthew's presentation, this, has, this is fulfilling some phrases from Isaiah. But if you're John, the greatest one born of woman, doesn't make Jesus look good because he's family. Remember that in a few days, by the way. Jesus doesn't even come to visit. He's in the Palestinian equivalent of Club Med, and Jesus doesn't do anything. Jesus doesn't send a cake with a file in it. Jesus doesn't come along and look at Herodias and say, I turn you into water, I turn you into wine. He doesn't do any of those things. He goes to the beach. No sermon, no Bible verse is going to make John the Baptist feel better. Ironically, John the Baptist is a Bible verse. He is the fulfillment of Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3. And that doesn't help either. There's nothing that makes him feel better. Now, Let's get to the point of the text. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. John sends messengers to Jesus because he's been rotting in prison for at least a year, probably 18 months. And he says, hey, can you go ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Let me translate that in 21st century English. Hey, Jesus, did you make all this stuff up? Are you real? Did I throw all of my support and all of my money and all of my people and everything and go to prison for you for nothing? That's what John the Baptist is asking. Why in one sermon series I did on bad church experiences, things that you can't ask God, <laughs> John the Baptist got to ask a really scary question. I guess you get to too. So he sends messengers. And then we read verses 4 through 6. Here's Jesus' answer. We know it's real because it doesn't really help John. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then you know it's bad when Jesus says blessed, and blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Here's what Jesus tells the greatest man born of woman. 
I want you to know that I'm real because of all the cool stuff happening to everybody else, but not to you. Ever felt that way? Ever felt like you wonder where Jesus is? Maybe you feel like the life you're in right now is a prison. Not literally, but you just don't see a way out. John the Baptist's prison was way worse than yours can ever be. The Advent season is about us waiting and reflecting and knowing that it's not all Christmas morning and Easter Sunday. There is real faith that happens in between. And when we don't live that real faith in between with something real and realize there were real people who love Jesus more than we do, who go through worse things than we do, we miss it. The phrase, blessed is anyone who's not stumbled on account of me, is Jesus' polite way of saying these words. Do not interpret God's silence as absence. If you read ahead in Matthew, chapter, Matthew 14, we eventually hear that Herodias cooks up this whole scheme. You can read about it. You should read the soap operas in the Bible. They're interesting. Um, and she has John's head chopped off. Jesus hears about it in Matthew 14. And when she hears about it in Matthew 14, when he hears about it in Matthew 14, we read that he's very saddened. He goes off to be alone because he's too upset to focus on ministry. This is Jesus who doesn't know what to do. Maybe you feel like John. Maybe you're wondering where divine hope is for you this Advent Christmas season. Maybe your prison seems awful and people keep giving you Bible verses and it's not helping. John the Baptist was an actual Bible verse and it didn't help him. But what we know from extra biblical material is John never gave up hope. John never gave up on this Jesus who was off at the beach. The hope and the peace of the joy of the Advent season should not be based on how we feel, but in knowing that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead for you, even when you feel alone and God seems to be busy with other people. Advent is about reflecting and realizing there is going to be real life between Easter and Christmas. And you need to trust God in the real life so that you can enjoy those things. I'm sure I'm going long. I don't want to look at my tablet because I'm sure I am because I'm ranting and raving. Two things off script. Um, as you may know, I'm very much a fan of many of the faith-based movies that are currently coming out. Many of them are just, I want to say as a minister, God-awful, but we're going to go with that. One of them that theologically is just, and historically, is just God-awful, and you may think it's wonderful, I may be blaspheming a movie you enjoy, is God's Not Dead 2. One was good, two was, they should not have done a sequel, even though they're going to do a four. Um, the only redeeming part of that movie, because it's historically inaccurate and theologically inaccurate, the only redeeming part of that movie is where the main character, I think it's Melissa Joan Hart, I apologize if it's not, she's a school teacher. In this, done in a school just outside of Little Rock. I may know where it is. And she is accused of mentioning Jesus and love and all these things, things that would never legally happen. It's not how it works, and it's exaggerated for the movie. But everyone seems to have been in her. 
her church, her family, her school, and everyone. And then she speaks to the Pat Boone character, who's the wise one at the end, and says to you, you're a teacher. What do you do when the students are having a test? And she eventually comes around in the original screenplay to say, well, I'm silent to see how they do in the test. Do not interpret God's silence as absence. Traditionally, I know we're using a different Advent pattern this year with the candles, but traditionally, joy is the third week. Go ahead and put the Isaiah passage up. Keep going. I'm sorry, I skipped a section on you. Isaiah 35, which traditional passage for today, talks about joy. Those whom the Lord has ransomed will enter or turn and enter Zion singing, crowned with everlasting joy. They will meet with joy and gladness, sorrow and mourning will flee. Historical context of that situation is not good. It's possible some of them were going off to slavery. <laughs> but they will go with joy. Some of you need a reason to sing this year. Some of you need a reason to keep going because it doesn't seem to be making any sense. Some of you wish these problems would go away and they're not doing that. I bet John the Baptist did too. And he asked Jesus, is this, is this matter? Are you a fraud? It's okay if you ask that. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Is It may seem like Jesus is gone. It may seem like he's at the beach sometimes. It may seem like your life is not even in God's concern. And all of those people have abandoned you. It's a good thing we have a biblical text that tells us about John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born, who's thinking the same thing I just said, who thought the same thing I just said. Advent is about learning to deal with the hard times in between Easter and then our celebration of Christmas, just like they did. It's not emotionally satisfying, but when your life seems to be confusing, if you've done the hard work, you can be a light that changes the whole world, just like Jesus did. I'm going to pray. And some of the children and teenagers are going to go celebrate Christmas, which is going to be awkward because I'm now going to go do Sunday school for some of them. Um, but don't worry, we're going to talk about Angry Birds. It'll be fine. It'll be good. Because this is a 10-year anniversary of Angry Birds, in case you're wondering. Um, it might come up today. You have real lives and real place and go through things that I cannot even imagine that are going to be hard this Christmas season. That's the reason we celebrate Advent. It's not all bunnies and unicorns and pretty presents and Hallmark holidays. It's about moving through faith just like Jesus did. I believe in you, and so did Matthew. Let's pray. Holy God, I know that we have done service in a different way today. And I know we have said things that are different than what we always think of during Advent and Christmas. But Matthew wrote this so people could see that even when it looks like you're at the beach, you still care. Help me to remember that this holiday season. Help all of us to remember that.
celebrate and are a part of your world so that we can face the hard times. Maybe you're just being silent during the test. <laughs>